You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Without Remorse. What we know, Senior Chief Kelly is the third member to be attacked. Three perps are dead. Also killed was his wife. They better hope he doesn't survive. Why is that? He is more dangerous and effective than any man we have in the field. He took everything from me. These were foreign attacks on U.S. soil. We have to respond. I'm gonna make it right. There's something inside of me that I can't turn off. A part of me that won't stop for anything. No remorse. Has it occurred to you that perhaps John Kelly has done something we can't? Some situations warrant thinking outside the box. Give me a name. He was supposed to be dead. Give me a name. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Without Remorse, and the story is as follows. Seeking justice for the murder of his pregnant wife, an elite Navy SEAL uncovers a covert plot that threatens to engulf the United States and Russia in all-out war. The film is starring Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Bell, Jody Turner-Smith, Luke Mitchell, Jack Kessie, Brett Gelman, Coleman Domingo, and Guy Pierce. It is directed by Stefano Salima. Written by Taylor Sheridan and Will Staples. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Dan Baer. Good morning, everybody. Uh, but we're not alone today. We also have two guests joining us as well. First up, we have Adriano Caparuso. What up? And also joining us, we have Juan Carlos Oijano. What's up, everyone? All right. So, uh, everyone, thank you so much for joining uh, Dan and I here. Very, very excited to have you both on the show to talk about this movie. I am going to issue a spoiler warning right now because I do feel that in order to talk about this movie, we have to mention spoilers. So I'm going to let that go right away, right off the beginning here, that feel free to talk about this movie in any way that you want. This is a Tom Clancy uh, novel adaptation and starring Michael B. Jordan. It is... Directed by, as I mentioned before, Stefano Salima, who previously did Sicario Day of the Soldado. He's also done the television series Gamora. And so, you know, let's just let's just call this what it is. It's <laughs> April, everyone. You know, it's April. And this is the kind of movies that we tend to get in April. It's interesting, though, like there's typically action films that are PG-13 rated that I would call big, dumb studio action blockbusters. This seems to be more of a big, dumb studio action blockbuster for adults and not for the teenage crowd. And in that regard, I think it has similar problems as these large franchise type of films uh, tend to have. We'll get into the specifics behind it in just a little bit here, but starting us off first with 
Juan, what did you think of Without Remorse? I <laughs> I did not know. I mean, I know this film exists, but for some reason, I wasn't. It wasn't my decision. <laughs> my mom kept asking me, like, "Hey, I want to watch this one, but I don't know the title, and it's on Netflix." And I'm like, "I know the slate on Netflix. It's not there." And as it turns out, it's on Amazon, and she, this was she was referring about. And then we watched it together. Um, but I, after seeing this, I was just reminded that um, Michael B. Jordan, he is such an actor, an actor that I really love what he's doing. He inserts so much inner life to characters, like Fruitvale Station, Creed. He's one of my top five best actors that year for Creed, and in Black Panther even. This is not one of those. This is very skin deep using this very politically loaded setup to tell a story that's so not <laughs> or very just scratching the surface. And the human side of this action film is so just serviceable. In turn, I think what happens is that the action that we see doesn't have much weight because the characterization and everything else outside of the action scenes are just like, you know, just to serve a story. This is the backstory of the character. This is his stakes. And therefore, when I watched most of the film, I have this detachment. I mean, sure, I understand the thrills of the gunfights and not wanting Michael B. Jordan to be hurt. But other than that, there is this shallowness to it it's very slight and after watching it I, I had to review it before recording because I almost forgot it and I watched it in the same day oh boy yeah I know I agree with you it's definitely a very cold movie and I'll get into more of that in just a little bit here because this director Stefano Salima seems to really be establishing I think uh, a style with the types of movies that he has been choosing to direct lately, and there's similarities between them across the board here. Adriano, what about you? What did you think of Without Remorse? Uh, so here's my funny story about when I watch it. So I don't know why. I don't know if it's a Canada thing or, uh, or anything, but for some reason, Amazon, when I get screeners from Amazon, it's always like the day before, like hours before it comes out. I don't get it. But I had this one, and I was just like, I don't really care enough to watch it like immediately. I watch it the next morning, obviously, but like I was just had no passion or desire for this movie to watch it. Like I watched the screener for it. But when I did watch, I was just like, man, this movie's just not nothing special about this movie, even in the slightest. Like Michael B. Jordan's great. He's always great. Like I can't think of a bad performance from the guy, but the movie in general is just like so surface level, uh, like in almost every single other regard. Like, you know, the action sequences were, you know, they're they were like they were just like shooting at each other. Like, as far as I can remember, it's pretty forgettable. Um, like it, not, nothing. I was not it wasn't gripping at all for me. It, it There were times where it took itself seriously, like too seriously. And also, it's just a personal gripe. Like the movie is rated R, technically speaking. I like and it's on streaming. I don't understand why there's bloodless violence in the movie. I don't understand why my movies keep doing that, especially when you're rated R. But yeah, I know the movie in general, just there's nothing, nothing about it gripped me to a point where I was just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? I not that it was predictable, but like, well, wait, well, for the most part, but it was just like I just didn't care 
at all, like about most of what was going on. Okay, yeah, um, I, I I have to echo the uh, rated R yet PG thirteen sensibilities. It's it's very unusual to say the least because I too had to ask myself at one point like what was this rated, and then I checked it. I was like, huh, okay. Like <laughs> I was very very taken aback by that myself. What about you, Dan Bear? What did you think? So I grew up with clear and present danger and Patriot games and all those Tom Clancy adaptations hitting the movie theaters. And this feels exactly like those movies. Yeah. From, you know, almost 30 years ago now. Yep. And uh, filmmaking and storytelling in general have advanced uh, a lot (laughs) in that time span. And, it is <laughs> I did not know this while or before watching, but I was not surprised to find that this particular adaptation has been in the works for that long because it just feels so out of date in just about every aspect. <laughs> and it feels like a sort of mid-budget adult political thriller from the 90s in just about every way and but the thing is that it's not even fun as that kind of throwback it it is very bland i agree with that there's maybe only one scene in the movie that touches upon the current uh, american landscape trying to make things relevant i suppose to today's society and the movie just doesn't do i think a good enough job ever of getting us emotionally invested in these characters, in this story, it just feels very routine, you know, to make an action film like this. There was a moment when he, when Michael B. Jordan's character says a line like, we gotta, we gotta save everybody. We gotta get everybody out. You know, everybody lives. And I was like, but, but why? Well, because the SEALs have this thing where they never leave anyone behind. I don't think a SEAL has ever been left behind in a mission, like, ever, actually. Exactly. So that's, like, two things. Like, one, why? Because, like, why do we even care about any of these people? Stop making me try to care about characters that you have not even... Remember the one guy on the team who um, gets shot by the sniper and he's like, tell my kids I love them. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> Did he have a name? <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, they have that scene where they all share each other's names and then they're like, oh, this is nice. And it's like, (laughs) what? Why are you you doing the bare minimum now at this point in the movie? We're like an hour and a half in. And they don't have any characterization prior to that. He like, Michael B. Jordan asks him, he's like, you've got kids. And I'm like, (laughs) why? What? Who? Why? Who cares? Even his face. And he's like, but what? What you just ask me right now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the other thing that, like, Michael B. Jordan has a ton of charisma, and he's very, yes. very nice to look at. Oh, he's the best thing about the movie, hands down. But no question. Hmm. He gives such a bland, boring performance, and Jodie Turner-Smith, likewise, has a lot of charisma, but, oh, that was bad. Miscast. In my opinion, oh, never, ever bought her in this role. She's trying to act all tough. and But I think she's let down by uh, the dialogue and the screenplay and the screenplay just having some 
very extremely bad dialogue that uh, I, I wrote down a couple of lines, but I mean, for the most part, there's nothing about this dialogue that ever sings in a way that gives to characters any sense of personality. And the actors can't do anything with it to add that. No, I mean, Michael B. Jordan luckily has, you know, the emotional motivation which drives him throughout the movie. But even that, it's like, man, we've seen this before. There's nothing new here. And I, I respect that Michael B. Jordan is taking on roles that otherwise in another generation, Dan, you mentioned like 30 years ago, would have traditionally gone to white men. Yep. And I like that Michael B. Jordan is not necessarily uh, like really making these uh, types of roles, anything other than, hey, you know what? Like I'm going to step into that classic white male leading role mm-hmm. and I'm going to spearhead that. You know, and I, I love how selective he has been with the types of roles that he has chosen to market himself as a leading man. I love that. And I think that he definitely has the capability of carrying a film. This should be case in point, the go-to movie that people point to and say, Michael B. Jordan literally carried this movie on his muscular back. (laughs) You know, like, because I mean, you know, if he can elevate this to make it at least watchable, because that's what it is for me. Like the movie's watchable. Because of him. Yeah. I'm not saying it's good, but it's at least watchable because he is a very dynamic and very charismatic performer, despite the fact that the screenplay, too, doesn't ever have like any moments of levity or humor or anything to like establish that these are charismatic, fun people worth caring about. It's just so, so freaking serious throughout. Yeah, there was that one line in the beginning that was like, what? What did they just say? It was like, I forget what the context was, but Michael B. Jordan, I guess, says something like quippy to, um, Jamie Bell's character and Jamie Bell goes, oh, oh, you're a funny guy. You're a comedian. And then two of the other uh, Navy guys, you're like, oh, he's a smart ass. No, wait, no, sorry. That's me. I'm the smart ass. I was like, what? Yeah, oh, yep. that was. And then, and then so, nothing like so that for the rest of the movie. It's like, why? Why was yep. that there? And, you know, let's not gloss over the fact that this is co-written by Taylor Sheridan, <sighs> a screenwriter who has received praise for many of his screenplays. Certainly. But lately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Really, yeah, he went from like Hell or High Water, Sicario, which are awesome, to like, you just, it's a downward spiral sense. I mean, he's still got another one coming out in a few more days here, I you know? know? Yeah. So we'll see if that rebounds at all. But I mean, this whole macho, tough guy action, uh, cold thriller, you know, it, it's serviceable for a Tom Clancy story because of the fact that. Um, Tom Clancy novels, I don't know if you guys have ever read any of them before. I, I, I went through a phase where I did. They're very dry. They're very uh, technical. And you really, really, really have to be into what his uh, stories are saying in order to like really like get into it. It's not um, what I would consider to be like a gripping page turner for the masses. Like it, this is like some very, very deep deep covert like op level shit you know dealing with the highest levels of government and uh, conspiracy and so on and so forth like you have to be like super super into this genre and the movie I think captures that because the movie is also cold kind of dull but it doesn't have the Mm. intelligence that his novels have that's the problem is that The movie lacks a level of intelligence. Instead, we get very, very conventional storytelling with tropes that we have seen before in other movies. I mean, guys, 
we all saw that it was Guy Pierce, like a million miles away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. It was blatant. Trouble. Like, you, you don't even have to attempt to hide it. <laughs> it's like we just know. And like, and I almost appreciate that they didn't attempt to like hide it. Like he's it's so obviously him. Yeah. That mm-hmm. Like yeah, I, I'm just like come on. The only thing that like stopped me from being like this is so obviously him was that Jamie Bell also came off as like pretty evil. Like I don't know something. Well, but that was like I guess that was the red herring. I suppose was like they wanted us to think it was Jamie Bell that was the one that was betraying the team. And then like I I don't understand. You know this is how badly directed uh, the character work is in this movie. When they get to the boat at the end and the mission is over and they're sailing back and. He says, uh, Michael B. Jordan says to uh, Jamie Bell, I was wrong about you. Like, this should be like a cathartic moment of mutual respect and recognition between these two characters. But then the scene just ends the minute he says that line. (laughs) And it's like, how do you not know how to direct an emotional uh, climactic moment like that? Yeah, I think just the film is a series of not necessarily bad, but just all choices and writing and directing and cinematography and editing. That's why when I was watching it, like, oh, I can turn away and not really miss anything because it's just being telegraphed in such a serviceable way that we don't really have to dig deep. And I think the story, the the, the concept deserves some meat in it and there's an exploration of even just the masculinity that Michael Jordan has in his character. But that's lost because the film either either shoots the, the, the action scenes in such a eh, way or editing it in such a uh, way or just writing it in a okay way. So it's always just a series of, okay, you know, I, I, I'm bad at this. Like I'm describing it through sound effects, but just like how bland is this? Well, that's because there's potential here. Um, yeah. I think at least on the page and in terms of getting, you know, these people together for this project. Uh, the problem starts with the script, obviously, because it lacks um, likable characters or at least li- relatable characters. The only way, the only reason that we like uh, John Kelly in this movie is because he lost his wife and child. Unborn child. Yeah, and that's it's a cheap way of ginning up sympathy for a yeah. character. Yeah, and the dream sequence is like, okay, you're you're trying to juice this emotion up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, completely. You know, so y- y- they do that, and that, and it's like that's the bare minimum amount to get us emotionally vested in this character. Uh, but then the central story of finding out what is the purpose of the Russian uh, military being involved and how it unlocks this uh, deeper conspiracy about how America is manufacturing this new war between Russia. You know, when Guy Pierce's character, you know, unveils his motivation to John Kelly in the car, you know, I, I actually liked that because I thought that that was a very interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how America is ripping itself apart from the inside and they need a common enemy to unite them right now. Like, that is a great concept to explore, I think, in a movie. But the movie never actually touches on that ever outside of that one scene. We never get anything else 
um, either embodied in a character or never hear anything like going on in news or anything like that that establishes that theme. And that's very frustrating to me uh, because, like I said, the potential is there to explore that. But this movie's not interested in that. It's interested in just getting from one action set piece to the next. Yeah. And outside of like, I would say two scenes, those action set pieces are not good. Yeah. So I, I actually want to talk about that really quick because there are two scenes in my mind that I do think are really good. Um, let's see if they're the same for you, Dan, as they are for me. Uh, one is I actually really like the uh, jail uh, fight scene. Yep. That's yeah. One. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So we're on the same level with that. I, I love the build up to that as well. I, I love that he, you know, douses himself in the water uh, to make him slippery. Like that was that was really really smart. I, I I really like that he's getting himself like psyched up. He knows what's coming. Um, I wish it had gone on just a little bit longer. Um, and I think the way that the scene ends is just kind of a, atrocious, if you ask me. But the second scene, I really, really loved the plane going down into the that water. That was the best action scene of the movie. That was phenomenal, mostly because it was a practical, real set. And you could tell that they rotated that set on a stage. It was great. It was awesome. Christopher Nolan would be proud. Oh, totally. That was phenomenal. Practical effects, baby. There's something to be said for actually using real sets, real stunts. And and in that regard, there were some moments, I think, um, in the final scene where John Kelly's facing off uh, all these guys in his final stand. Um, the, the gun shootouts against like these enemies that you can't see from a distance, I could deal without because the cinematography was so murky. I couldn't really tell what was going on. But when he actually had to fight them like in the stairwell and stuff and they're shooting these in wides. Yeah, I, I like I like that. I thought that looked really great, too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Eh, like after Atomic mm. Blonde, regular multi-shot edited together. Yeah. Action sequences like that don't do anything for me. That's that's yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> that was the point I was going to make. I think David Leach kind of spoiled us. Like, yeah. Action. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that plane sequence. Oof. That one was good. And the sniper scene I could deal without because 
man, that sniper just missed so many shots oh that God. it kind of devalued the tension of the scene. Yeah, and it was it was just clear that they were not going to die, and that scene went on for forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I also don't know if they needed this this shots from the side of the snipers. I think it would have it had diluted the tension. I think it would be yeah. better if we did not just see how you know that other side. It would remain like omniscient, other than this. We we see everything, and that's like that's the detriment of the scene. It's like we see way too much, like way too many wides, way too many sides. I will give uh, the movie credit for this, which is. Uh, during John Kelly's like final standoff after the sniper, the stairwell, and then going off on all of these guys so that the rest of the team can get out. I did have a moment where um, there was some doubt in me. Like I was thinking, how is he going to get out of this? Is he going to get out of this? Because I was thinking, you know, he could potentially not make it out of here alive. And you can have Jamie Bell and Jody Turner Smith uh, finish the movie's central mystery plot. Uh, without him, you know, so I I had to give the movie a little bit of credit for putting a little bit of doubt in me about if he was going to make it out of there or not, because he got shot up uh, quite a few times. There was a point where I was going like, what is his plan? Yep. Like, (laughs) he's just going to die. Pretty much. Uh, But the way he does get out of it, I like that because um, I I do like it whenever characters use their wits uh, in situations like that to get out of a very, very uh, tough situation. And uh, I, I, I like that moment uh, quite a bit, you know, and I do like that he got his quote unquote revenge at the very, very end and was able to satisfy uh, that arc. And uh, I will admit, I didn't realize that the John Kelly, John Clark thing was coming. I was an idiot for not realizing that it was yeah. coming. I should have known that it was coming. <laughs> And then, you know, they have this post-credit scene. Oh, my God. It made <laughs> oh, the so post-credit scene? oh, you didn't see the post-credit scene? <laughs> no, I was just, all right, it's over. <laughs> just, all right, over. it's over now, please. Oh, man. See, okay, funny funny thing about that. I actually kind of dug the score by, uh, I'm going uh, to say Jonesy. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Jonesy. Jonesy, okay. I really like the score. And I was listening to the end credits just for the score, not knowing or thinking that there was going to be a post credit scene <laughs> and then there was and i was like oh what is this so what happened so basically they reveal that you know his new identity is john clark and so he is standing in front of the washington monument uh jamie bell's character ritter comes up to him and uh basically john uh tells uh ritter that i'm gonna develop a counterterrorism uh team of international agencies and we're going to get the approval of the president to make sure that this this doesn't happen again. And then Ritter's like, you know, what are you going to call it? And John's like, I'm going to call it rainbow. And it's basically rainbow sex, which if you know anything about Tom Clancy, you know, is the next novel that follows without remorse. And it was a very, very popular video game and so on and so forth. When he said rainbow, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> well, it, it, it screamed of, you know, I was I was like half waiting for Samuel L. Jackson to just step out onto yeah. the screen and be like, we're calling it the Rainbow Initiative. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the Rainbow Initiative. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't. Uh, here's the problem. This movie is not good enough and nowhere near exciting enough to make me want to see another film however 
I think if they bring on a different director, different screenwriters, and you want to maintain the same cast, you know, you can reboot it to be a little bit more exciting, a little bit more fun. Because this this director, Stefano Salima, you know, you watch Day of the Soldado, you watch uh, the Gamora television series. This is a brutal, merciless cold director he should be making like genocide dramas okay because the way that he kills people in his movies is so brutal and merciless and it doesn't fit i think within an action movie that is supposed to be quote-unquote entertaining and now if you're gonna sit here and tell me well matt it's supposed to be you know a a hard r for adults it's not supposed to be fun (sighs) like okay fine but then I'm sorry, but like, I think we have seen some rated R action films that have been a lot of fun. Look at the John Wick franchise, for example. Nobody. Look at nobody. Nobody's another recent one. I think that's what people want nowadays. You know, if you're going to make a movie with this level of seriousness, you're no longer an action film. You should just consider yourself a drama that happens to have action scenes in it and just go full tilt. And also, you know, back to this point. Like, don't make it bloodless. If you're rated R, be rated R. Like, yeah, that's distracting. I mean, because some of the kills in this, like there's that scene where uh, one of John Kelly's like team members is like taking out his garbage in the streets and out of nowhere, he just gets run over by this van. That was good. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. Like, it just came out of nowhere. And there are quite a few moments like that in this movie where this director, I'm telling you, like he is very, very good at just kind of showing you. No nonsense, no bullshit. This person about to get murdered moments. Yeah. Yeah. And that's about all he has to offer, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 So it, it's a reoccurring theme with his work. I just kind of hope that he stops trying to make these action movies. And I would actually like to see him apply it to a drama that happens to have some cold, brutal killings in it. Yeah. I think then there could be something to work with there. In terms of his style, this wasn't eh? like he needs a eh, he needs he also just needs a better script. And then Taylor Sheridan needs to, you know, like I hope eh, those who wish me dead is the next one, right? Yep. Yeah. I, I hope it's good because I do like Taylor Sheridan. Uh, but, you know, if like if, if this next one isn't great, it's like, all right, I think I'm done with this guy. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's at a point now where I can't even say that he's writing off of the goodwill of his earlier scripts anymore. I can honestly now say that I think that he's just a mixed bag at this point. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, all right. So for final thoughts on Without Remorse, I'm tossing it over to Juan first. What final thoughts do you have on the movie? Anything that we didn't mention or you want to reiterate? There's an interesting film somewhere here. This is not bad. But I think it's a bigger sin if a film is just passable because it's a mixture of like it's not good enough to watch it, but it's not even bad to parse through it and see its faults and be passionate about it. I think this film uh, ignites almost nothing aside from the standard action that, you know, in the moment it feels like, oh, you know, you're having fun. But after that, there's nothing that sticks and um, I I don't know. I think like I've all been saying in terms of writing, in terms of directing, this could be improved a lot. But I think what I will go back to what is what stuck with me from the very beginning when I saw that it was the first scene was set in Aleppo. I don't think 
you get something that is fundamentally political and then take away the politics in it and just throw lines to mention the context without really digging deep into it. And also with in terms of the state of, you know, the, the male action lead, I think we are now at the point where, like Dan said, you know, with the advancement of film in all aspects, I think we have to start advancing how we depict men in these stories because they've been so simplistic for the longest time. And um, there are deeper things to explore in terms of politics, in terms of masculinity and this film. Yeah, it feels 90s. All right, Adriana. With the exception of like the plane scene in that uh, scene in the prison, none of the action was gripping. It was just shooting at each other. It's like, okay, you know, we've seen we're we've grown a cut. We yeah, you know, we've grown out of this thing. It's like, you know, and that kind of like that kind of feels like that's kind of like sums up my feeling the whole movie. Like we've seen this before. None of this, none of this yeah. feels interesting or different. But although I will give one kudos, I, the big kudos I will say. Um, I I think it was like brought up a little bit earlier, but I I do want to give like Matt's kudos sort of something to like for them casting a black man in lead role. And it's like, and it's like, and, it, and his race has nothing to do with anything. I really respect movies. Yeah. That. I respect yes. that. Yeah. That's the way it should always be. Exactly. Yep. There's another movie uh, being released this weekend where there is a uh, gay character and that's not part of the storyline at all. Respect. I love that. Yeah. So, I mean, th- that should be normalized uh, within storytelling. I completely agree. So, Credit where credit's due, but it ain't enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doesn't make the movie, the movie still hard. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't make the movie that much better. It's just like you, you, you just, you're not even really getting points. This should just be the norm, basically. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what about you? I mean, it's all pretty much been said. I just, I wish this movie had any sense of fun to it. You know, I think that would have gone a long way towards making it work a, even a little bit better it's because that's what it comes down to. It's not fun. I I've started this thing of like rating movies that I watched during quarantine by how many times I am on my phone. And this movie, I was on my phone for most of it and I did not miss anything. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. I have a couple things here. Uh, Coleman Domingo is barely in the movie. That's an automatic uh, minus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the scene where he is drinking, he pours all the alcohol over himself and he approaches the men. Uh, that was a very pointless scene because he doesn't lift anything off of them. He just follows the ta- like he tails the guys that are leaving uh, the building. And it's like. Why did you have to approach the guards then? Why couldn't you just wait like in your car and wait for them to make their move and then tail them? It just was so pointless. Yeah, it was a clever idea that was done in the most unclever way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and used pointlessly. I, I liked it. I would not do it. But. So the scene also too, where he lights the car on fire and he goes in there. I'm sorry. That is the most ridiculous shit I have seen in a very oh, you long should time. Be dead right now. <laughs> First of all, that gas tank would have exploded. Second of all, he puts his hand on the car and opens the door, and it's like you're gonna sit here and tell me that man did not get some burns on himself, and then he gets out of the car and he's completely fine. No, just 
absolutely no fucking way. I, I was like, I, I don't care if this is supposed to be badass. I don't care if it's supposed to be emotionally driven by his raw anguish over losing his wife. Just nah. <laughs> yeah, there is a difference between being a badass and being superhuman. And I have not read a Tom Clancy novel, but I'm pretty sure super soldiers are not part of them. Yeah. So... Yeah, that <laughs> made me nutty. But on the other hand, like that's almost the kind of ridiculousness that I wish this embraced more. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, and then at least it would have been fun. Like for that scene, I was like, this is so stupid. I am all in. Yep. And it was the same thing with the fight in the prison sequence. Like that is that was dope. freaking ridiculous. But I was like, yes. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, totally. There was, a, there was a certain tone that they could have struck with this in terms of being a little bit more over the top and making him definitely more of a superhuman badass. Uh, you know, it's like, why not make him into like a John Wick boogeyman type of character? Because then that's where the fun would come into play, right? Is watching him go through these very impossible situations for any other person on the planet. But because he is so emotionally driven, he's willing to risk it all. And he's willing to go to any length to get what he needs. And it's like, that would have made it so much more fun. But instead, you know, he gets shot up a lot. And, you know, credit to Michael B. Jordan. He's really throwing himself like physically into a lot of these scenes and trying to make them gritty and real but there are times where he comes across as you know human and vulnerable and you know you don't ever achieve that level of uh fun that you're alluding to there dan yeah i i think the the, pro the problem with the film is that it takes itself too seriously but it doesn't really invest <laughs> in that tone as well just like um but it could have fun the other way but it's just decidedly middle of the road and I have a gripe. I think there's those scenes where they're trying to present a more um, human side of Michael B. Jordan, especially that scene when the, his wife just got shot and he was trying to crawl, I think, to the bed. Mm -hmm. It could have been this powerful moment, but I think the way it was shot and I also think a bit maybe how it captured Michael B. Jordan's performance, it comes of us. I thought about that because there's a different take that's used in the trailer where he is screaming. And in this one, he's just like fighting through his pain, both physically, mentally, and, you know, just like saying no, yeah. no. And then he like kind of, you know, just yeah. uh, withers until we get to the uh, the edit, the cut. And I do feel like the cut uh, from where he is at the end of the bed to the next scene, it does undercut the moment, I think, a bit. Like, I really think they needed to linger on it just a tad bit more, maybe capture some more of that performance. Um, <laughs> I mean, granted, the moment that they show in the trailer is very ridiculous. He looks like he's about to take the biggest bite out of a sandwich like I've ever seen in my life in that trailer <laughs> shot. Uh, but, you know, what, what does that remind me of? It almost reminds me of... Uh, DiCaprio? <laughs> No, 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 no. It reminds me of uh, Revenant. that scene in Charlie's Angels where he's like, damn you, Salazar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, I know that has like nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but that's all I could think about was like, I've just lost the love of my life. Damn you, whoever did this to me, I will get my revenge. <laughs> yeah, and that's disappointing because I think Jordan could go there. That oh, yeah. emotional space. It's like, I yeah. think the film is undercutting dramatic moments, undercutting action scenes. It's like, let the scenes breathe, boy. And mm -hmm. just like, let it have some dramatic or emotional momentum at least. And right, that's why it's not a gripping drama. It's not even this involving action because you're just trying to capture high points, but you're not 
giving us those moments between the high points mm. that would contextualize and even give more emotional weight to those high points. I uh, got to mention Brett Gelman because he's just becoming one of those character actors where he pops up on screen. I'm like, oh, that guy. He didn't really do much for me in this movie. I have to be honest with you. <laughs> I do love that he has become one of those. Oh, that guy. Uh, and then finally, there's a line in the movie where they say, buddy, they're going to write songs about all the shit that you messed up. Oh, my God. Oh, God. So what, was, what does so that bad. mean? <laughs> what? I'll tell you what it means. It, it, what they should have said was, buddy, they're going to make podcasts about all the shit that you messed up in this movie. <laughs> ah. yeah. That's what it, that's what it meant to me. <laughs> Songs. Man, yeah, there, there, there is some bad dialogue in this movie, but uh, what are you going to do? Um, all right. So in terms of a final grade here, I I found it watchable. It's pretty bad at times because mostly of the dialogue, but I can never say that like what they did in terms of the basic structure of the story, uh, the action at times is also okay enough. <sighs> I'm like torn between two grades here, but I am going to give uh, maybe the benefit of the doubt uh, because Michael B. Jordan is giving it, you know, his all. I think that he's just undercut by a very uneven script and uneven direction at times. But I'll go with a very weak four out of ten on this. And I, I feel like I'm being even super generous by giving it that great, if I'm being honest with you. What about you, Adriano? Last Saturday, I watched Mitchells versus the Machines, which was a very fun, creative and interesting and Im imaginative uh, and also, you know, very heartfelt movie that that is the exact opposite of this movie. <laughs> like in almost every regard, this movie is just bland. Like there's nothing I, I have. No, I will never have any urge to watch this movie ever again. So honestly, I would give it honestly a three out of ten. It's not the worst movie in the world, but it's very not good. <laughs> like, All right. Juan. When I was watching this, I also remembered 13 hours the secret soldiers of benghazi and how oh, yeah. mm -hmm. that also stripped the political weight of a political situation but i had fun with that one and i thought that was yeah. senseless explosive fun this yes. one is neither i love michael b jordan he deserves more lead roles whether dramatic or comedic or whatever yes. he wants but i was gonna go with five but thanks but i'm gonna go with a he's like he's like a four five i'm gonna give it a four five <laughs> i was trying to remember scenes like okay the plane okay what's that okay oh yeah i remember <laughs> like the moment i remembered it oh okay next point but just yeah it's not bad so it can be this put on afternoon viewing but other than that they deserve more the actors deserve more. All right. And Dan Bear, what about you? What grade are you giving it? I'm at a four. It's not bad. It's like the most apathetic four I've heard you give in a while. <laughs> it's not bad, but it it's so boring. I think I think that's what, what I mean when I said earlier that it's bad is that it because it, it isn't bad. It is just boring, but that's what makes it bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's also tired. You know, there's so many tropes in this that we've seen before in other action films that have done this better. Uh, I I do not think they're going to be able to 
make a sequel to this unless if they bring on a new creative team. Matt, what? Matt, it's Amazon. <sighs> they have all the money in the world. Of course, they can make another one. I understand that. I just feel that morally they should not <laughs> do mean, it. It's Amazon. <laughs> but morally. Uh, I don't know. Bring Bring on someone else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, at least. Bring on, bring on like Paul Greengrass, you know, oh, to do oh it. Oh my God, that would be oh dope if he did that. Yeah. Why not? Catherine Bigelow. David Leach. I don't think he'd want to do it, but either way, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options out there. I would say that this did the absolute bare minimum to lay down the foundation for what they want to do. But if I were them, I would pivot. So in a way, it's kind of like the mummy. How's that? You know, they clearly wanted to, they have some ambitions. They want to do something bigger from that, but it just, it just falls flat from the beginning. Oh, you're talking about the Tom Cruise mummy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, what do you mean? The first two mummy movies are awesome. <laughs> what, <with> Brendan Fraser? <laughs> yeah. Those are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm talking about the Tom Cruise one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. And, and, and that it's immediately forgettable that you thought I was talking about the different one. <laughs> All right, well, that's funny because like we went from talking about Without Remorse to The Mummy. Uh, I think we got to get out of here before we start talking about <laughs> something else here. Uh, so in any event, uh, Juan, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Thank you. Um, you can find me on OnlyFans. I'm just kidding. Nope. Um, you can find me on <laughs> Twitter at Carlos Ohano and my podcast at One Inch Barrier. Yes. Really, really love One Inch Barrier. Yeah. I understand that you just, uh, I understand you're launching a new season. Is that correct? Yeah. Season five, May 7th. The premiere, I'm not going to say who the guest is, but if you're follow, of course, we all did follow the award season very closely. Like we're talking spirits, then you might know who the guest is. Okay, cool. Very much looking forward to that. Adriana, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, so I am on Twitter, uh, Adriano Danger Caparuso at a Danger C. And here's and here's something I haven't announced yet. I'll announce it here. Uh, starting, probably, I think this September, I will be starting my own podcast as well. Oh, called okay. Danger Man. Congratulations. All right. And Dan Bear, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our podcast review for Without Remorse here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We're an awards podcast, and that's why we definitely skipped over the section where we discuss awards potential for Without Remorse, <laughs> yep. because there is none. I mean, sound? No, stop it. If the people There's only five nominees now. Or like big names and probably <laughs> in any event you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts we are proud to be part of the evergreen podcast network if you want to leave us a review on apple Podcasts, let us know what you think of the show we really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can lend on over at patreon for one dollar minimum a month you will get some exclusive podcast content from us thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. 
on Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.